Let's bring it back in, ladies and gentlemen. We, uh, can you hear me? Are you with me? There. You know, uh, I used to, I was, okay, we get, we're, gonna, we're calling Jeff right now, and then I'll explain to you. Hello? Jeff? Hi. Tony Visick, ladies and gentlemen. Um, here with uh, Jeff Abagov on This American Podcast, Comedy Edition on ComedySchoolsRadioNetwork.com. Say the secret word and win $50. How are you, pal? Secret word. No, that's, that's not how... Do you know what show that's from? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I'm a great show. Yeah, well, it was called You Bet Your Life. But, well, yeah, I forgot that part, but I knew it was Greg Show. Say the secret word. And so they start out every show and say, the secret word is dog. And you say the secret dog. word and you win $50. You owe me 50 bucks. No, no, no. There's, <laughs> there's, there was no... You yeah. just said it was dog. You know what? We did not uh, spit in our hands and shake hands. So, therefore, it's not a legally binding contract. So... <laughs> well... That's... Uh, that th- them's the rules. Them's the rules out here. Last, in Ari- last, time, last time I paid a dollar to join your contest. <laughs> Millions have. Millions have here on the Larry King Show. Um, can you believe Larry King is still with us? Oh, by the way, did you introduce me? Um, or did we just start? I, I, did, I said your name. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, oh, okay. so, just so we have a, a proper introduction... Here on the Comedy Schools Radio Network.com, we believe in proper introductions, ladies and gentlemen, like we used to do down south over mint juleps. On the phone with us right now is uh, television producer, television writer, screenwriter, novelist, Jeff Epigov. Yay! Yay! We say yay. yay. Everybody's, everybody's happy. Everybody's happy. Um, what we're doing, for those of you who um, don't know, uh, and we've been letting people know this, and now those of you listening will know as well. We're doing a series of conversations with our good friend here about uh, all things creative. And I'm going to tell you why, Jeff, that we chose you for this. Uh, because um, you, like me, started out as just a kid in a town far, far away from uh, the, the creative centers of the world, New York and Los Angeles, and then made your trek there and then made your way. And you have, uh, you started out as a you started as a stand-up comic, then quickly became a television writer and became a producer of television shows. You also wrote your own screenplay, produced and directed your own film, and you are now a novelist. And people want to know, people have such misconceptions about how someone takes that journey. And by the way, success looks simple in the aftermath, doesn't it? To, to I, I suppose I've heard that. <laughs> yeah, you look, you know, you see, you know, like you, you read someone's biography, I mean, and they go, go ahead. No, I just think, I, I wonder, I, I don't know if anyone who's considered successful ever really considers themselves successful, because there's always, like, that next thing. Maybe Spielberg does, <laughs> or Cameron, or, but, like, for the most part, it's, like, always, like, I could have, I, I want to do one better. I want the next one to be better. You know, like who, and maybe Spielberg or Cameron don't, because you know they had their idols, and they feel well. You know, I, I never did what Orson Welles did or Kubrick did. Like, I don't know. I think there's always like that next thing. You know, but um, that could just be me. 
Was it? I don't know if it was Spielberg. Maybe it was Luke. I forget. It was either Spielberg, Lucas, or Coppola, or Scorsese. No, it was Scorsese. That um, uh, he made the movie New York, New York, uh, and he directed that with Robert De Niro and Liza Minnelli. And uh, a lot great of people, director, terrible movie. Go on. You know, <laughs> and, and I, I disagree with you. I enjoy. I like the movie. So and okay. uh, I, I like what he was attempting to do with the film. Uh, he went in, and it was the, the movie was it was a uh, box office failure and was panned roundly. You're absolutely correct. I got this. I saw it a whole bunch of times because I was a movie projectionist at the time, so I didn't just have a one-off uh. view of it. I watched it a lot. And go, wow, look at all this. Uh, he went in a, a set. He went into a terrible funk after that and didn't work for like a couple of years because he was so depressed. So even oh, yeah, I remember that. Even those people that we think are the most successful, or we think of them as well, Grongo, well, he's success. Yeah, he's good. Uh, they could be going through um, uh, difficulties we don't even understand. Oh, I heard this story, and this is where Ray... I don't know if this is true, but I heard it from a pretty reliable source. I think it was from actually the Spielberg movie, the movie about Spielberg, that um, after 1940... After he made the movie, 1941... His big which failure. Was terrible. Big failure and really bad comedy. I mean, here's one of the greatest directors ever who was just riding so high, and this is according to himself. I might be somewhat misquoting, but this story comes from his document, the documentary about him, that he just believed he could do anything. But he never did a comedy before. He's not known to do comedy. He has no, if, you know, the movies he always loved weren't, growing up weren't comedies. But he said, okay, I'll get John Belushi, I'll get all these comedy stars, I have the magic touch, I could do anything. And it was both a box office failure and terrible. And he apparently went into this huge, like, funk also, didn't do anything for years. And um, when Lucas came along and said, you got to do something. You got to get back to what you do. I have this script for this movie. I was going to direct it. I'll produce it. You direct it. And that was Raiders. You know, and you know, it's interesting. So, you know, it, it didn't occur to me to, and as soon as you said, I remember that 1941 was Spielberg's big failure. The, uh, when it had its premiere at the uh, Cinerama Dome in Los Angeles, I was living near the Cinerama Dome and I didn't realize, and there were giant explosions because that was part of the, uh, the big parking lot extravaganza because the movie was about, you know, World War II or whatever, Flyboys. Right. And I, all I do, I'm, I'm sitting in my apartment uh, uh, up near Franklin Avenue, and, I hear, and it's during the time of uh, the Iranian hostage crisis, and I jumped going, oh, my God, they're attacking. <laughs> <laughs> and I ran outside. Somebody goes, it's the movie premiere. Um, you know, <laughs> when you think of those big four, and let's, let's see if you agree that these are the big four. Let's go. Is it four? Uh, Martin Scorsese. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola, Steven Spielberg, and George Lucas. That's probably the big four, wouldn't you say, of the uh, uh, of that of that generation? Um, depends how you're defining it. Of, of that generation, um, yeah, okay. I mean, you could throw I mean, help, like financially. Um, 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 Scorsese was never in Lucas and Spielberg's league. Even though his movies, I think, were better. Yeah. But, um, but financially, he's, you know, he's not among the huge top money makers of all time. Well, you think about it, those directors of that, uh, it was the, the, the book Raging Bulls, and um, I forget yeah. the rest of the title. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, um, easy, 
Easy Riders, Raging Bulls, great book. Yeah, that um, um, and I mean you could you could include Hal Ashby, you could include Michael Cimino, but uh, those are names that a lot of people today would not necessarily know, but still a great. I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't include Cimino. Cimino made like one, one great movie and then one gigantic flop, and then he was done. Have so, you, I mean, when you're talking about greats, I think you have to factor in longevity. Well, you know, he, you're right. Although um, I watched, um, um, why is it escaping me right now? Because I, I watched the whole damn thing all the way through uh, recently. There's so many different versions of it. Uh, Heaven's Gate uh, the other night. And I thought, this is not the terrible movie they said it was. You know, it's brilliantly filmed. Uh, yeah, I just, I mean, I don't remember it well. I just remember feeling it broke my cardinal rule. The sink and if people are listening to this for advice on writing or storytelling yeah. or joke telling or the cardinal rule is don't be boring. And it was boring. You know, it, it, I, it, I've seen clips. I've seen clips where George Carlin or that where George Carlin would talk for like three, four minutes without a laugh, building to a laugh and yeah. building to a huge laugh. But three, four minutes. Nothing, not funny at all, and it didn't matter because it was interesting. Yeah, you know. So, so the to me the rule is boring. If I'm sitting in a theater and marveling at the cinematography, that means I'm not in the story. That's true. And I, that go ahead. And to me, that, that's the most important thing. Now, other people, you know, the cinematographers and photographers and painters, the cinematography probably is the most important thing. But to me, it's the story, it's the characters I want to escape. And if you don't grab me, I consider it a bad movie. So even though I don't remember Heaven's Gate, that's my thought on Heaven's Gate. I, you know, you should, you should watch it again because I, I would love to discuss it with you. My take on the movie is that just almost every scene is too long. And if, if uh, you know, it was, it was during, during that time that editing was considered a monstrosity. All the studio got a hold of it and just tore it up, just chopped it up. Um, if, if he himself, Chimino, had sat there and go, I, I want to bring this story in, this fictionalization of the Johnson County Wars that actually better tells the story of it than any documentary, um, then I, and I want to bring it in at 120 minutes or 160 that he could have brought in a great film, but he was so uh, demanding that they not chop up his film. And so, but that, that that's getting you know a little what I'm you know what I'm a little afraid of. I'm afraid. That, no, okay. the people listening to your show right now really don't care about Chimino or Heaven's Gate, and we're being boring. Uh, and I'm breaking my own rule. And I'm not. So, <laughs> well, I think we just kind of fell into it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when we talk about the big four, all right, so yeah. we'll take Chimino out and Ashby and all those out. We talk about the big four. Uh, the only one who seemed to not have, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, that giant failure that caused him to doubt himself was George Lucas. Uh, maybe. I, I, I can't think of one. But remember, Lucas stopped directing pretty early. Yeah, he, he, Like he did the first Star Wars... I think the first Star Wars might have been his last thing he directed. It it may have been. It was like he stopped when he was ahead. So um, he, yeah, well, he became a producer and special effects titan. But yeah, 
Yeah, so he didn't he didn't have that great artistic failure that um, uh, the others had. Uh, Spielberg bounced back, of course. Uh, Scorsese mm-hmm. bounced back. Francis Ford Coppola never seemed to quite bounce back, even though he made some very good films after they say his big failure was one from the heart. So uh, after that, um, Tucker was a failure as well, even though that was a pretty good movie. So here's my question, okay? Have you mm-hmm. had that big failure that made you doubt yourself and take that long uh, metaphorical walk in the woods? Well, I not the way you're talking about it. Um, they, I mean, I worked on some shows that weren't good, but um, several of them, I knew that kind of going in, I just needed a job. Uh-huh. Um, and others, and none of them were shows I was running, so... You know, you only take so much responsibility. Um, I've, and I'm not going to say what, there was a show I did run that I thought was terrific that didn't take off the way I thought it should. So you can't really count that, you know, uh, as a flop. Um, so no, that never really happened to me. But again, TV's different than movies. So you, Movies, you, you like spend two years on one thing. You never had that. TV. Yeah, you never had that big failure that made you just kind of lock yourself in your house with Robbie Robertson from the band to do cocaine for two years. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> now you've worked on things that uh, uh, you've worked on things that were your idea. You've worked on things that were other people's ideas, and even when there's other people's ideas, they're then uh, they're all, depending on your ideas. Uh, I was talking earlier about uh, seeing Hamilton in New York a couple weeks ago and the marvel of it being as I sat there and as it started, I go, I'm looking at the stage and, and the uh, cast is, you know, coming under the stage. And I go, this started out as an idea in a guy's head. Uh, well, Juan Lynn Miranda read a book and go, when I'm going to turn this into a musical. So he had that thought. That thought, that original thought, just like the guy who wrote the book had an original thought, I'm going to write a book about Hamilton. But Juan Lynn Miranda had that thought and then acted on that thought. And I said, it's amazing that something starts out, as an, there's not a thing on this planet made by human beings didn't start out as a thought in someone's head. So you have acted on a lot of your thoughts. So for instance, you are currently a novelist. You've written two great books. Time travel for love, love and profit, and uh, zombies versus aliens versus vampires versus dinosaurs. Did I get it right? Yes, you did. Man, man, I'm proud of myself because that's the kind of thing that I screw up. Not because it should be, it's just because I screw those things up. Uh, they started out, there was nothing. There was nothing, now there's something. There's two successful books. So, how does that go for you, Jeff? I'm going to be like Merv Griffin here. How does it go for like you? Jeff Abagov. <laughs> How do you even entertain the notion? So you, you, you wrote television, you worked in television, you produced television, you did other things, you made money, you did okay, and now you're sitting around and you go, I can learn how to wind sail or maybe learn how to put those little ships in bottles or something. But you go, no, I'm going to write a novel. Tell me about the origination process. Okay, well, first, there's also a short story I wrote, which I wrote first, called the autobiography of act. I read that. The act symbol. Okay. Um, and it kind of started with that. I had this idea 
for that, like, um, just what if, like, I, I don't know exactly how I came up with it, but I was thinking of, like, a rags-to-riches story and staring at my computer and someone was like, you know, they, and my mind just wandered. It just wandered. And I went, well, we, we use the act key a lot these days, but before the Internet, we didn't use it at all. Like, I, you know, probably, like, why did even here? And I had been looking for a racket to riches story, and when my mind wandered to that key, it's like, hey, I mean, it was really probably popular in, like, farming days when, like, things were written down and before the typewriter, and then he just kind of disappeared and blah, blah, blah. So what if there was a story, like an, uh, an autobiography about him, it? In the book, it's him, but um, Star is a girl. Star is the love of his life in the story. So I just, oh, this is fun, and it was a short, and I knew it would have to be a short story. Um, so I just did it for fun, and people really started liking it, and I put it online and, uh, and on Amazon, and people started buying it, and it was a fun thing to do. And I said, I'm, hey, I can do this. I'm going to write a novel. So that's how the novel thing began. So when you... I also said, you know, about a couple of months ago, I did an interview. Uh, it's online for... Um, it's called the thefussylibrarian.com. And um, one of the things they asked me, and they said, like, um, comparing writing TV and film versus writing novels, and I, one of the things I said that I... And I, there's things I like more about TV. There's things I like more about novels. But one of the things I said I like more about novels was, um, you know, TV and movies is very collaborative, which is both good and bad. It's fun to collaborate, but it's never entirely yours. We're talking about the great Scorsese films, and no filmmaker could be considered more of an auteur than Scorsese. But he's got De Niro. He's got, um, you know, his actors. He's got this, and he's still collaborating. The entire movie, he is the author of the movie, but it's not his alone. So... That's one of the things I think. So in books, it's completely yours. You're not collaborating. And I was wrong. I realized I was wrong. I am collaborating. I'm collaborating one-on-one with whoever's reading it at the time. Ah, I like that. So I do, too. I like that. So, like, if I describe um, a tall, thin girl, a tall, thin woman with blonde hair and green eyes, uh, how old is she? And that's all I write. How old is she? You uh, might imagine her as in the 20s. Someone else might imagine her in 50s. Yes. When you're reading something, no matter how much description there is, the reader's filling in the blanks. The reader's imagining the, how the character sounds. You so know, I find that really cool. I, that's very cool. I, um, I actually read something one time about uh, um, screenplays and casting and that people... Uh, a screenwriter goes, I'm not overly descriptive when I create a character about a uh, body type or anything. I just say, you know, they're attractive or unattractive, whatever he goes, because I don't know which actor's going to play them. So right. if, if I go, if I go, they're, they're five, six with brown right. eye, that then, then they, they almost, and, and if it's a success, they have to stick to that. You know, oddly enough, if you read um, the great, um, uh, if you read Dashiell Hammett's, uh, Maltese Falcon or uh, any Raymond Chandler stuff. Humphrey Bogart's about as far away physically 
from uh, yeah. from those uh, those uh, iconic detectives as you can be. Yet when you think of the uh, the uh, film noir PI, you think of Humphrey Bogart. He he so defined yeah. it. Well, in script, well, in novels, you have to. You're required to, and people like it. People who read like description. Um, in movies and TV, you're not supposed to. It's not, you're, you're not the casting director. If you're, I mean, if you end up, if you write it and direct it, then you cast it. But in terms of, you know, here's a funny story on that. So but you mentioned I did stand up. Before stand up, my background is actually I went to film school and was a director and did very well, came out here, and my first professional job was a freelance script for Cheers. That ultimately led to um, my staff job on Cheers. So between, from the time I, by the time they did the rewrite on my freelance script, I was on staff. And so my opening was um, interior bar day. Sam is um, pouring beer into a pitcher. Woody is um, cleaning glasses. Carla is taking an order. That I placed every character, what they're doing, in the moment. It was like a full, full paragraph. And the first note I got on that script was, Jeff, we have Jimmy Burroughs directing. Let him direct. <laughs> <laughs> so listen. Listen, anyway. <laughs> the correct thing, and the correct thing is I looked at everyone else's script. It would be interior bar. Everyone is there but Norm. <laughs> everyone is there but Diane. That's it. So, so listen, uh, um, uh, you know, full disclosure, uh, uh, Jeff and I are, uh, he's, he's one of my very close friends. We, uh, we spend a lot of time uh, uh, talking to one another on the phone, and we see each other personally uh, often. And I, when I decided that I wanted to do something with someone who uh, would be able to do a series of conversations who then we could possibly bring out to Los Angeles for the creative community to meet. You, you mean Phoenix? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, Phoenix, yes. You, you uh, were and are my first choice. One of the reasons is you and I, in, primarily, I can ask you a question and every answer has valuable insight for anyone who's interested in this process. And it goes by so quickly that unfortunately, I have to end it now because I've got uh, something else coming up that I, I've got a hard, hard interview with a, a weekly thing that I have to do. So that's why I said, Jeff, I can't just have you on once. I got to have you on a whole bunch of times. Let's create a series. So we've barely began to touch on the things I want to touch on. And I'm going to say that I thought that our conversation about Heaven's Gate was fascinating. And people who are into creative stuff will now go out and find Heaven's Gate and they'll read about it, and they'll be interested about it, and they'll come back and want to hear more. People out there, there are so many better movies to watch. <laughs> I want you to watch it. You know, I give you time. Do it in the next month, next year, something like that. Watch it, and then we're going to discuss Heaven's Game. Folks, I'll, uh, next time I'm on the show, I'll make you a list of <laughs> all the movies you should see. Yeah, I want you to know, yes. Heaven's Gate. Yes, do that. I've been recommending uh, <laughs> movies to my students. I have not recommended Heaven's Gate. Um, I, I recently uh, uh, recommended Play It Again, Sam. Uh, uh, quite, That's a great movie. Yeah, uh, for someone who wants to write comedy and see how comedy works. So um, for, Even for people who don't want to write comedy and see how comedy works, it's a great got movie. It's a funny movie. Uh, I saw it on yeah. Marijuana, LSD, and Sober, and it stands up under all three. I gotta go. So uh, but okay. I, I'll talk to you later on uh, privately, and you will be back next Friday at 9.30 a.m. Jeff Abagov, ladies and gentlemen. 
Okay, take care. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Um, let's do this. It's 9.58. Let's take one more break. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be finishing up uh, this Friday's edition of This American Podcast Comedy Edition with headliner Jamie LaSalle from Rick Bronson's House of Comedy here on Comedy School's Radio Network.com.